1: to it's an arsenal thing podcast i'm your host tom and i'm once again in the company of a man who makes two sheets of velvet rubbing together sound like a pneumatic drill on a set of reasonably priced saucepans it's silent dave how are you people you're looking good hey eh? Looking sharp, relaxed and content. We're back with more fuffball news from the Arsenal. Of course, the weekend gave us the chance to get revenge over our conquerors from the first game of the season against the Bees of Brentford. On the menu tonight, Isaiah reports on the blustery revenge encounter at the Emirates. And he emerges, oh yes, in spectacular fashion, from the match, clutching a handful of key points and takeaways on American Arsenology in the gun room with me is jay and mitch and we pick through the offsides the var's but we also look at time wasting is it just part of the modern game or are we being short-changed in terms of action um i noticed that aaron ramsdale was in good voice here we go <laughs> i noticed the arsenal crowd were in good voice Even Ian Wright was in good voice.
2: Sakurai
1: and Emerson <laughs> rule. Yes! Even my kids are singing it. I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it,
0: I like it, like it, like it, like it, like oh, it,
1: and the Chris Prostitute Gary Lineker sang it on Match of the Day, but we're not going there. What a week, Chelsea won the Club World Cup 2-1 against Palmilath. And Palmilath logo is by well, the same person, I reckon, who did the Starbucks logo. If you think I'm joking, go online and look it up. Better still is they have a player called Doodoo. They do. De do do. Um his real name is Eduardo Pereira Rodriguez, but he's known as Doo Doo. No doubt it's a nickname given to him by the fans after a poor performance. What else we got? Manchester City let the side down by losing to that mob. West Ham dropped points against Newcastle, and the people of Manchester came to the sudden realisation that the purchase of Harry Maguire will probably go down as the crime of the century, and the good folk of Leicester will continue passing the unimaginable tale of an exorbitant sale of a very average defender to the children and grandchildren. Have you ever noticed Harry Maguire's head? It's massive.
0: i the ready
1: Did you see the match? Man United versus Leeds. Scott McTominay committed six fouls against Leeds and received just one yellow for his troubles. Um, from what I've seen, I've only seen four of the offences. He should have been in the showers early. Sports journalist Henry Winter commented on Twitter, how is McTominay still on? It was like watching a really crap version of Roy Keane. Thankfully, Jack Wilshere has got a club. He's joined Our house. Our
0: house in
1: the middle of a street, our street house uh the 30 year old signs to the end of the season with an option for an extension i can't claim that one that's the work of john gregory on facebook
2: it's an arsenal thing podcast fun
0: football and conversation
1: One of the best rumours from the weekend, I'm so hoping it's true, was Kurt Zuma complained to the ref during a West Ham-Newcastle game because Chris Wood kept meowing at him. (laughs) How did that conversation go? Ref, I'm being abused on the field. All right, what did he say? Well, he kept meowing at me. Get off your knob. It's 27 years ago since Arsenal sacked George Graham, the stroller. One for me, none for you. One for me, still none for you. George Graham is still held in great affection by the fans, even though he went on to manage that mob up the road in the ultimate betrayal. I don't know whether you remember it, but uh, the press went round his house and they took pictures of his patio area, which had the uh, Arsenal logo firmly implanted out the back. Oops! Um, George was from the Terry Venables School of Accounting. (laughs) you got to pick a pocket or two. Elsewhere in news, peppered with irony, Brighton's Lewis Dunk was shown a red card by referee Peter Banks after he discovered that Dunk's nan Ada was an Arsenal fan. Banks had previously sent off Watford's Peter McVague for driving past the Emirates and Chelsea starlet Mark Plant for having a friend in Islington. On the strength of that, Eamon Crumb of Crystal Palace has recently ceased contact with his wife after discovering her family originally came from a street near the Holloway Road. Famous Hounslowians, Keith (sighs) Chegwin. Let's hope things improve. Uh, David Attenborough. Ah, oh, that's better. You don't see Attenborough getting his kit off to present a game show. Laughing Potato Face Jimmy Carr, Musical Squirrel, Phil Collins. Who Tanguis, John Entwistle. Drug ravaged Jack Wilde, who played the artful Dodger in the film Oliver. And Pete Townsend, the brains, if not the voice behind the Who.
2: From the land that gave you popcorn, drive-ins, Johnny Mathis, and the legitimate right to shoot your neighbour for parking outside your house, Direct from the U.S. of A., it's a potpourri of foosball analysis and... stuff. It's American Arsenology. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to American Arsenology. Brought to you by World War III. Disregarding sovereign nations' boundaries, one European country at a time. I'm your host, Vladimir Putakha. and now tonight's top stories. <sighs> Welcome back, Megunas and Megunarets. Arsenal have been victorious, two to one at the Emirates. Versus the Bees of Brentford. It was a mightily important victory in the race for top four. Another cup final. So let's get right into it. The opening storyboard of this one featured manager Puffy 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 Spanish Michael Puffy Kota against the Danish Dane Thomas Frank. Yes, Arteta was out for revenge after some biting remarks from his counterpart, Mr. Frank, and one Yvonne Tony. Let's have a kick about, mate, and let's dive a little deeper. (laughs) Down on the starting 11 featured a word known as predictability as Brazilian wonderkid Gabriel Martinelli was suspended after his bizarre red card. In between the sticks it was our magisterial Aaron Ramsdale. And the center back pairing of Benjamin don't call me Ben Blanco and Gabriel Big Papa Magalhaes at center back. On the right, it was a return for Cedric Rick Maura Soares after his quite impressive performance versus Wolverhampton. And on the left, sleevelessly, sleevelessly reliable Mr. Kirantini. It was the first choice double pivot of the octopus man Thomas Party and Swiss captain Granichaka. Swiss captain, yes, but Arsenal captain, no, 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 no. It was a creative midfield, buoyed and run by Martin the Norwegian Wood. Ooh, hoody god. Emil Smithrow oh, the Smith on the left, and Little Chili Stir Fry Bukayo Saka on the right. And as was expected. It was another cup final, another hugely important game with Alexander Lacazette, the Pink Panther, Professor Clouseau oh, 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 leading the line. The opening ten minutes in this one were all about Arsenal Football Club. As little chili stir fry, Bukayo Saka was shimmying and shaking and playing in all sorts of delightful crosses, through balls and little neat passes. It was a nice pass to Benjamín Blanco. Early on, in the 34th minute, that Benjamin would do well to knock down, and this seems to be a new tactic from Arsenal. Bukayo Saka playing long-driven diagonal balls toward Mr. Benjamin Blanco. Benny seems to be honing his skill at little knockdowns, which we saw so effectively against Wolverhampton when his knockdown would, in effect, assist Gabriel Magalich's goal. In the 11th minute, there was another effort for Saka as he shot on target, but David Raya would claim. But folks, this was the first shout for an Arsenal penalty, as Alexander Lacazette was hammered and hacked in the box. There was no contact on the ball. But what did referee Johnny Johnny Jonathan Moss have to say about it? He said, I'm not interested. Let me go on my merry way. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun, and snap. (coughs) The job's a game. But the pressure kept coming. And in the 12th minute, a chance for Lacazette to open his scoring account for 2022. But no, 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 not for our Professor Clouseau. As he would be a judge to be offside, offside by a nose, by a beak, by the skin of his panther
0: fur. I would, of course, tell you more, but it would be safer for you if I did not.
2: Are you all right? Of course I'm all right. And in the 17th minute, another chance for the Pink Panther. As Cedric Ricvarenis-Sorres would whip in a little ball, and the bald-headed, bearded Lacazette would head bizarrely over the bar. It was not an easy chance, but it was pathetic from the Frenchman. Thomas Partey would have a wild dragged, oops, it was a dragged effort on Raya's goal. And then Lacazette would follow suit with a similarly poor effort. Wide and to the left of Raya. Wide and to the left. Wide and to the left. What happened to your head when you got hit? Well, uh, uh, my head went back (laughs) to the left. Say that again. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. And folks. In the 38th minute, a clear penalty denied by the Blue Shield, Blue Flag, Blue Lives Matter-waving Johnny Moss. As Granny Chaka would whip in a delightful ball towards Bukayo Saka. Saka could not win the header. But the loose ball fell to Cedric Saurez, just inside the 18. Cedric would unleash a blistering, well-hit effort, a half-volley driven into the turf that was goal-bound. And as Brentford's number 11 slid in to make the challenge, his arm was clearly away from his body in the most unfucking naturalist, very unnatural, unnaturally unnatural position to deflect the ball and change its trajectory. <laughs> By all accounts, this was the most clearest of the three penalty shouts. This was the one that had to be given. But no, not for Arsenal and not for Mikel Arteta. The conspiracy, the bias, the fucking boulder dash continues. Mr. Mulder and Agent Scully, you must find the truth. Good old fatty Johnny Moss would ask for a word with the club captain Alexander Lacazette, instructing the French captain to have his players get on with it. How dare the question! my authority, the authority of the men in blue and black. It was another sign that the referees will not take questioning of their power, of their dominance lightly. And as the first half came to its conclusion, there was a sense of satisfaction for the gun with 80% of possession. But also a sense of frustration, as Thomas Frank was defending in numbers out wide, limiting the chances of our hale and brilliant magicians. But there was a sense, there was a feeling, and there was an inspiration that Arsenal would come good in the second 45 at home. I believe in miracles. Way from You sex a thing, sex a thing, you The first half came to its conclusion. And as always, there were two big fat whopping takeaways. Number, number one. Against Brentford, Arsenal slung and swung in 43 crosses. 43, folks. And 32 of those crosses would come in the first half. And while Arsenal were able to conjure two goals against Brentford, thanks to two moments of individual brilliance from Emil smith and Bukayo Saka, it must be said that there is still something missing in the box. That is a genuine aerial threat. More and more, I do believe Mikel Arteta is interested in a striker who can attack the ball in the air. A striker who can smash home four to six volleyed efforts and or diving headers each season. A forward who can also drop deep and link with the midfield. Creating space in behind for those willing, willing boys from Hale End. And folks, when you examine our ever-evolving style of play under Mikel Arteta and try to forecast potential summer signings, I do believe that more and more the tea leaves may be spelling out Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Number... Number two. On Saturday, referee John Moss... ...was fully, fully, fully fucking waving whatever the equivalent of the Blue Lives Matter flag is for Premier League referees. As he was waving it hard and true. As he let a number of bizarre calls go against the Arsenal. There were several shouts for penalties that have been well documented. And Arsenal will call for 10 fouls to Brentford's 5 in this one. And let me say this. My Gunners, my Kunarets, We should expect the referees to turn on Arsenal even more in the remaining 15 games of this campaign. Those who are in power do not like their authority challenged. They never ever do. these overlords will not stand to be questioned. So then, do not expect a reversal in fortunes or some new sense of justice for the Arsenal. No, 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 no. In fact, you must expect the opposite. The brutal thugs conspiring against us shall stop at nothing. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Just ask the NYPD. Not
3: now N.W.A. court is in full effect. Judge Dre residing in the case of N.W.A. versus the police department. Prosecuting attorneys are MC Rand, Ice Cube, <laughs> and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order,
2: order! Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. And folks, the second half began with a bang, bang, boom. For Mikel Arteta's arsenal. As a nice little ball from Lacazette would find... The Smith! Wide and free with space to charge and drive into on the left-hand channel. And folks, as we have said for now what has been two years... The Smith strives as a number 11 for Arsenal. He would drive from that left interior channel... Down the length of the pitch, a full 40 yards, driving into the yellow shirts, cutting inside under his right foot against four Brentford defenders, and he would take those fucking bees out with a nice little well-curtured ball from his right foot, driven with base and incredible spin past the outstretched David Raya. One nil to the Arsenal and another goal for the Smith! <laughs> bang bang came down on And in the 75th minute there was a rare, rare, rarest of sightings of one! Nico, Nico Pepe! As he would come on for our goal scorer, Emil Smith Rowe! It was nice to see Pepe back in the side as once again, Mikel Arteta gambles on his second half of the year goal-scoring prowess. The game was progressing with Arsenal comfortably in the lead 1-0. And in the 79th, a transitional moment with Thomas T. A. Party driving at the heart of the Brentford Bees and finding little chili stir-fry. Bukayo Saka on the left interior channel. <laughs> Little Chili would find the ball and receive it with that cushiony, cushiony, cushiony first touch that our world-class generational talent possesses. He would drive, 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 drive 15 meters right into the hedge of Brentford's 18-yard area. And when he got into shooting position, he fired in a left-footed laser beam off the Woodburg 2-0 Arsenal, and we're feeling fucking alright. With the result looking, looking, looking like it was in the bag, Arsenal's mission was to see out the remaining 10 minutes and find Aaron Ramsdale another well-deserved clean sheet. But that was not to be the case, as in the 93rd minute, a free kick by Brentford was turned into a goal, The a bizarre pinball wizard experience happened in the box, and Cedric Saures Did not cover himself in glory, looking like a stunned hippopotamus. BAR would have a look. Naturally, naturally, naturally the goal would stand. It was a goal for Brentford and a disappointing end to what was a quality performance. But sadly, there was no clean sheet for Aaron Ramsdale. But nonetheless, the greater mission was accomplished. Another three points in the bag. So critical, so important for the race for Champions League football. Yes, folks, the second half came to its conclusion. And as always, there were three big, big takeaways. Number, number one. Gabriel Magalish is our big papa at the pack. Our listeners will be well aware that my love for Magalish It started well before his wonder goal against Olympiakos. But there was something about that towering header that sealed the deal and made me believe that we had a real player on our hands. Gabriel has not disappointed as he has gone from strength to strength. Showing great recovery speed, fantastic reading of the game, and solid technical ability. But most importantly, most importantly, my friends, Gabriel Magalish has a take no fucking prisoners attitude that has made Arsenal manly again. For far, far too long we bore witness to ineptitude, poor organization, and a lack of conviction at the back for Arsenal. The defending during the end of the Arsene Wenger era and into the first chapter of Spanish Michael's reign ...had been atrocious and embarrassing. But Arsenal are no longer pushovers at the back. Gabriel Magalich is a big reason why. Number number two. Much has been made of Granit quote-unquote... ...refusing the armband. Many fans and pundits... They felt that this was an act of petulance from the Swiss captain, a disrespectfully, <laughs> a disrespectfully fuck you flipped towards the club and the manager. But we later learned that this was not a proper reading of the situation. Yes, Mikel Arteta would reveal in his post-game comments that Kieran was quote unquote next in line. And I do find this remark from Arteta and Chaka's behavior a bit curious. But I have a different take. As I have said on this podcast on more than one occasion, Chaka has always been Mikel Arteta's biggest non-negotiable at Arsenal. If he is fit, he will play. Arteta would start... Granny Chaka, if he had one leg and was wearing an eye patch. But perhaps, perhaps, folks, for the first time, we have witnessed a fracture in the relationship with Alexander Lacazette set to depart in the summer. Mikel Arteta publicly naming Tierney. As next in line. This is a big deal as far as the captaincy is concerned. And I do think, I do think, it is suggestive that Granit Chaka is set to move on next summer. Finally, is Emil Smith-Rowe an option as a center-forward? Mikel Arteta was quoted this week saying, he can play as a left winger, he can play as a left attacking midfielder, right attacking midfielder, and he can play... As a nine nine nine. Very, very well, I think, as a nine nine nine. These are interesting comments from the manager. As we all remember that fateful first leg against Villarreal, Spanish Michael played Smithrow as a Force Nine in homage to his Jedi Master, Pep Guardiola. It was a perplexing decision in such a big game, and frankly it did not come off for the Tinkerer Jr. But I will say, I have to say... I like the idea of the Smith as a Force Nine. As has been stated on this podcast, I want to see more of ESR, Martin Udegaard, and Bukayo Saka. I want to see them playing together with Gabriel Martinelli. And Tom, while I have been pushing for Martinelli to be the one to play centrally, perhaps it is Emil Smith-Rowe... Who is the true Croydon Bobby Firmino.
1: Me and Dave, this is non-football related, by the way. Me me and Dave were excited to learn that Simply Red are touring again. Yeah, Um, we're even talking about going. Although I know that after 15 minutes, I'll have lost him because he'll have dad-danced his way to the front, slopping lager over everyone in his path. Truth is, Mick Hucknall, known as Manchester's Ginger Bono, has still got it. Oh, believe me, he's still got it. We got an audio... Of the rehearsals. Have a listen to this.
0: Anyone knew we were you would tell you the way I'm feeling. Anyone knew we were you would tell you when I'm in it.
1: <laughs> oh, he—he he's, hasn't lost it, has he? He's well on tune. Brilliant.
0: Why did I ever become a football referee? I could have been an engineer or a sailor on the sea. Whenever there's a fault to find, they always make me. Why did I ever become a football referee? I used to play at centre half when I was very young And speaking out for fair play I never could hold my tongue The men at the top were watching and they quickly spotted me They said, now that is a decent man, we'll make him a referee Why did I ever become a football referee? I could have been an engineer, a sailor on the sea Whenever there's a fortified they, they always pick me why did I ever become a fit for When first I took my whistle out, I didn't feel very proud. I played it like a flutter and I smiled at all the crowd. I gave them two decisions, then I heard a terrible boo. For fifty thousand voices roared, coconuts oh, yeah, to you. Oh, why did I ever become a fit for F.R.E.? I could have been an engineer and a sailor on the sea. Whenever there's a fault they find, they always pick a me. Why did I ever become a football referee? When Rangers played the Celtic, I was stuck out on the field. I'd only been there a minute or two when the crowd began to steal. The half of them said he's a for the heart of Ireland. The other said he's a and he's there for the shake of the hand. Why, Why did I ever become a football referee? I could have been an engineer or a sailor on the sea. Whenever yeah, there's a, a fault I find, they always could me. <laughs> Why did I ever become a football referee? The game had gone on half an hour when two began to fight. I tried to separate them and to tell them who was right. They bashed me and they battered me and they left me nearly lame. The crowd are roared to very ham, and rips could come with the game. Why did I ever become a football referee? I could have been an engineer, a sailor on the sea. Whenever there's a fault they find, they always pick up me. Why did I ever become a football referee? They brought me here to Italy as a very honored guest Between Milan and Roma I did my level best But the crowd they didn't they fancy me I could tell by the way they squealed They you bring a helicopter in to get me up on the field Why, Why did I, I ever become a football referee? I could have been an engineer, a sailor on the sea Whenever there's a fault they find they always try me. Why
4: did I ever become a boy, I?
3: It's time to enter the gun room for a natter.
1: Hi, and welcome to the gun room. How are you, people? Um, I'm in the gun room with Jay. How are you, Jay? Yeah, good, 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 good. And uh, we're with Mitch. How are you, Mitch? Not too bad. How was that old game then at. Um... At the Emirates, we'll talk about it. Was in detail and it was awesome?
4: It was a great first experience to be able to go to the Emirates for a good game to be there for to to see a win, uh, and hopefully I'll I'll be going back in the next couple months.
1: I went through one of these phases. You'll probably relate to this, Jay, where you go to a match and you, you get rubbed out. You you get on the wrong end of a score, and then you you come back again and you get on the wrong end of a score, and you think, oh, it, it must be me. I'm not going mm-hmm. this week. And then they win And mm-hmm. you think Shall yeah. I go back or not You go back and they get thumped So yeah. I, I did that for a little while I did that for about six or eight weeks or something <laughs> All, all um, sort of uh, superstition isn't it really But yeah. right, before we start We'll cover a transfer rumour Which I thought would be fun in each podcast Which you can comment on in six words or less Okay got it uh, Ready Paul Pogba to Arsenal Jay <laughs> So I've got six words, right? Yeah, six words or less. Not going to happen. Hey, good one. Mitch? He stole my four. I was going to use those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it will do. It will do. I just simply put no. I was going to go no thanks, but, you know. Um, Here's a quick one for you before we start. Uh, There's been a lot of fuss about how to celebrate a win. Mm. Uh, Danny Murphy... Uh, Wolves is there a problem with celebrating a win especially when you're down to 10 men I, 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 I don't, don't, just don't get it,
3: <laughs> it um, seems to be if team. it's the Arsenal if it's the Arsenal we're not allowed to celebrate but um, other clubs
1: um, obviously wasn't it funny when Wolves said about us celebrating and then did you see them when they won again? The game they were it was like uh, it's like weird. FA Cup stuff yeah Right. Yeah, I really don't game,
4: think lads. it matters. Like, of it as long as you're not popping out champagne during a regular Premier League match, I don't think there's any word to, to be angry about someone's celebration.
1: Sort of doing a, <laughs> a bit of a jig around the ground or something, doing a bit of a dad dance there. Um, the Brentford game, lads, I was expecting the complete reverse of the opening game of the, uh, the season. Uh, Spanish Michael came out and said as much. Um, he said he was going to, uh, sort of, it was going to see a different Arsenal. Do you think it lived up to the hype, Jay? Um I think it was a we, we, we played well, like we completely controlled
3: the game. Uh um we they I mean, I don't know if you you probably saw the same thing I did, obviously make sure you were in the ground, but the, the, the commentary on um on whichever T V station it was, they were saying that Burnley not Burnley, uh, Brentford um were causing us some Problems on the break, and it just never happened. I, I couldn't see that at all. We were in total control. Um, I thought defensively, we completely bossed it, and we were creating chances, and we probably probably should have scored one or two in the first half and looking up to score, really. Um, Lacazette, his, his offside effort, maybe he, he should have... Uh, I think it was Shaka that was offside, wasn't it, in that move? Um, so maybe, you know, um, probably should have gone in 1-0 up at least. And I thought overall dominated them. Uh, they're not a good side, Brentford. They're not a great side. I think they're they're in free fall, aren't they? Um they're lucky that they've got the amount of points that they have because I can't see them picking up too many more as the season goes on. Um and it was it was a really encouraging performance because we completely controlled the game. Uh and um and the two one the you know it kind of flattered them because we 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 dominated like uh, obviously Mitch you were in the ground um were, were the fans were the supporters were they getting anxious or was it just was it you know uh
4: there was a bit of anxiety when we were only up one nil like after the Smith Row goal there was like after the celebrations died down there was like a little bit of anxiety because we kind of stopped controlling the game as much. Uh, mm. And then all of that was just kind of broken once once Saka scored his goal. It it, mm. it it was all right. We're good. We're, we're feeling. I, mean, good. I we're never felt
3: like you know watching the game. I never felt that we were gonna we were gonna let it slip. I never felt. I mean, more and more as this season's gone on, I felt a lot more confident this, that the team can see out results and they can they can defend leads a lot more a lot better than they have in recent years and. um I never, I mean, they're not a great side. Like I said, Brentford, and they don't carry much of an attacking threat. Um, but we, they, they never look like scoring, never. And um, even their goal, you know, it was, it was a crap goal, wasn't it? Crap to concede, you know, it was they're really scrappy. And uh, yeah, totally controlled it.
1: It was evident that Arsenal had the lion's share of the possession, it, slick and sharp going forward, nice little touches and passes. But it does worry me uh, that we're we're cutting a brick with a spoon up front with Lacazette. Lacazette yet again showing us that he can't do that crucial finish at a time uh, when we actually need him to. It's it's just like we missed the boat, isn't it? In the uh, in the transfer window, we're just that little bit short. Mitch,
4: uh, I at the end of the day, I don't think there was like any uh, opportunity to like really get someone that would have been an, uh, a serious upgrade at the price we were willing to pay for them. Uh, like it's very easy as a fan when you've played FIFA career mode a couple of times to be like, oh, you can splash out 75 million for Alexander Isak. But when you're trying to run a team and trying to build a sustainable model, that's not when you're going to, you're not going to panic buy. So, uh, I mean, as fans, we got to hope that Lacazette finds his form soon. Uh, or that we find some alternative option. There's been a lot of talks, obviously, for weeks now about Martinelli playing striker potentially. There's been talks this week about Smith-Rowe playing a, a false nine role. Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different directions I think we can go within the squad. I think the best option for us is that Lacazette finds his shooting boots uh, as, as we move through the season. Uh, but, like, through the game, I, I don't think Lacazette was – uh the reason that we didn't score more than 2 uh necessarily uh, we we controlled the game really really well uh we had like 80 some per- percent possession in the first half and we were uh trying to score on the opposite end that I was uh in the first half and I did not see much of the game like because it was a, it was far away from me being pretty much the entire half and which is a good thing. I, I, I wanted that. I didn't want to see Ramsdale make any saves in front of me. Uh, so uh, it, we, we very much controlled the game. I do disagree with what Jay said about Brentford being a bad team, though. Uh, I do think that they're uh, a pretty quality what? side, especially for a newly promoted team. Uh, they were without Ivan Tony, He's probably their best player. Uh, they've got a really good model. I, I definitely think that they'll survive this season. And if they do, I think they're definitely going to be what like they're, they're they've a similar model to what Brighton have been doing of uh, like they're a very well run club. And I think they have the ability to be a, a mid table side for for a good amount of time and not really be uh, scared about relegation. Uh, Thomas Frank's a good manager. They're really, really good at replacing players. They'll probably sell Tony in the summer for like 40 million and replace him with someone better. That's just how they run things. And they are a pretty good team. Uh, so I, it, it was it was a great match by Arsenal. We played really well. Obviously, it sucked to get to lose the clean sheet at the end, uh, but but really good performance. Uh, I, I think almost everyone played really well. I think that uh, what Brentford
1: uh, are, are suffered from really is that fizz bang. They've come up, uh, they hit the ground running, and for a spell, they were electric, weren't they? But when mm. you get to this stage of the season, it really does sort the men out from the boys. And there's that kind of that grind, isn't there? As, you, as you're finding your yeah. gear and results are thought, harder to come by.
3: on the day they they didn't cause us any problems whatsoever. Oh, no, they, they
4: were terrible. And yeah, I didn't have any. I any,
3: 100%. 100%. right. Um, I just just want to add about um, that lacazette. Um, I think what we've what most of us or all of us have enjoyed about like sort of his performances, since since he's come into the team, you know, he's, he's, he drops deep and his link-up plays good. And it, it it means that, you know, Martinelli or Saka or whoever's out wide can can get beyond and he can play the balls through. And he was dropping deeper, but his passing was poor. <laughs> he was giving the ball away far too much. And he was dropping deeper and deeper into into Odegaard's position. Uh, and what we need you know i said at the time what we need is we need him further forward we need him in the in a center forward position because we need him to score we can't you know the the longer the season goes on you know everybody's saying what 14 cup finals left and yeah i suppose you can look at it that way but we're going to need we're going to need a striker we're going to need somebody to, to 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 be there to i don't know it could cannon in off his ass or could go you know <laughs> off his knee or he, but, but if he's That's not the in, most likely <laughs> he, at the moment, he's he's just not even in the right positions, really. You know, and he's, he's looking to drop deep a little bit too too often, and his passing was dreadful. And uh, I don't think he had his best game of the season on Saturday. But uh, we're going to need him. You know, he's our only option, and he's our better option because you know the other options in Ketia and I haven't seen anything recently anyway to suggest that
1: he's going to do any better than Lacazette. So, uh, I mean. I think we've said before, though, Jay, haven't we, that he does a lot of donkey work for about 70, 75 minutes. He he does a lot of work that goes unnoticed. Mm -hmm. Uh, People tend to think, well, he's a striker. He should get goals. Of course he should. I mean, that's his stock and trade. But he does link up. people. He pulls people away. Sometimes he drops too deep. Absolutely. But he Mm -hmm. does do a lot of good, good
3: work. You see, that's okay. Him dropping deeps okay if he's if he's impacting the game in a positive way. I just think I think you know, certainly not like slating him or anything. He just didn't have a very good game. You know, he just he he's, 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 he was pretty wasteful with the ball, um, and I mean you know he was guilty of giving the ball away far too often. But we've got Martinelli back um, for the Wolves game, haven't we? So it'd be interesting to see if he probably Art- Michel probably won't change it. Because I think he, Mikel definitely likes um, the influence that Lacazette has on the rest of the team. And I can imagine in the changing room, he's a real positive, uh, positive person to be in there to help the youngsters. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll go with Lacazette. But, you know, as the season goes on, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe Martinelli goes a little bit more central. Uh, or, I mean, smith Row, maybe. I'm not sure about that myself. But I'd rather Martinelli go
1: central, to be honest. Uh quick note for you, Mr. Cedric, who uh, we've burdened a little bit, haven't we? We've uh, given him a tough time. Uh, he's making us look like a bunch of monkeys at the minute, isn't he? Last two games. Uh, 98 touches, made 66 passes with an 87.9 accuracy and weighed in with a staggering 16 crosses. Um, he's not doing too badly, is he? Uh, no, not too
4: we bad done? at all. <laughs> um, like... Yeah, no, he's not playing badly at all. He, he was combining really nicely with Odegaard and Saka on the right. On the right. Uh, and I'm happy to be wrong. I'm happy that he's he's doing well. Uh, that being said, if Tomiyasu's healthy, I don't see this being like how it was with Tavares and Tierney earlier in the season, where Tierney got hurt and then Tavares came in, performed well, and then kept the spot for a bit. I There's no reason why Cedric could start, should start over Tomiyasu if Tomiyasu is 100%. Tomiyasu's on the bench for the Brentford game. He didn't come into the match. I imagine he'll be 100% for Wolves. And if he is, Tomiyasu should be the starting right back. There's no reason to even think about, oh, Cedric's had a good couple of games. Yeah, he has. He's played well. But there's such a huge level difference between him. Tomiyasu's worst day is uh, better than Cedric's average day. So um, no question of who, who should start against Wolves if Tomiyasu is healthy. We had a penalty shout,
1: no VAR. They seem to have unplugged it or something. Uh, an offside against Xhaka, a handball. And then uh, at the end, uh, Brentford nicked a goal, really. And I think that was, uh, it was, it was more of us just allowing them to potter on. Uh, Jay, what did the officials get right out of that lot? What what stands out for you as a glaring error? Oh, I mean, who was the referee? Was it, was, it All was,
3: there a, was it Mars who was the referee? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... He's he's atrocious. Um, what did they get wrong? Wow. Um. Well, it's just becoming it, it, it's 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 beyond a joke now, isn't it? Just how the the the, the standards are different. Did, did either of you two see the um, the Man United Leeds game at all and see McTominay with what he, some of the challenges he did and he didn't. I don't. I think what did he just. He got one booking,
1: is that right? One booking he, out of six, really thuggish tackles,
3: and and it's just the standards are so different, aren't they? Uh, I'm just so sick of it now. It's, we, we just everybody talk. It's just it's just the number one topic, isn't it? After each Arsenal game, it seems to be just these crappy refereeing decisions, and uh, yeah, just just bloody really sick of
2: it.
1: Uh, Xhaka being offside yes he was I think we'll wrap that one up and put that one to bed but the the one that hacked me off was the Lacazette one I think he he could have got a penalty out of that I watched it about three or four times and I thought wow come on every week someone seems to get a penalty out of that I mean Harry Kane falls in the box from outside the box and he gets a penalty yeah it's absolutely shameful right let's move on to the goals uh epic um Mitch, beautiful goals. Firstly, Smith's row, 48 minutes. That surging, trademark, purposeful run. Uh, I bet it was a joy to watch. He just goes through the gears, doesn't he? He gets in a position, his head pops down, and he just, he's at it. He's on it.
4: What was it like yeah, watching I mean, it live? Uh, it was fantastic to to see him, to drive down the wings, split the two defenders, and, and then put it in the back of the net. It was, it was a fantastic goal, as well as, uh, Saka's, uh, just, just as good. Uh, we've got two unbelievably talented players that will hopefully be Arsenal players for a long, long time. Uh, really great that we have two players that can just make things happen. Uh, when, when we've, we had like a long half of, uh, of controlling the game, but not getting that final, uh, that final goal. Uh, we have players that are able to, okay, we, we can we can do this and and just take the ball pick them up score um and it's uh it's really impressive just the amount of talent that they have uh being so young i mean soccer's younger than me uh and like it's it's crazy to be what's that uh, than, a week uh, it, like a, a couple months like it's it's weird um and uh they're both unbelievably talented and hopefully will be arsenal players for a long long time Jay, let's move on to Saka's perfectly
1: timed and taken goal. 79 minutes is, a, is another piece of quality. There's something shifting in this guy. He's maybe suddenly starting to realise what he's got. What I like about this pair is it reminds me of the George Graham era where they, they got these youngsters and they all came through together. I mean, these two have played together for some time. But yeah. talk me through the goal. What what did you, it, it was a piece of brilliance, wasn't it? So yeah. exciting to watch.
3: Yeah, it was. He's super. I think it Saka started the move, didn't he? Deep inside our half, and he released the ball to Party. Party d- travelled forward, and um, I think Lacazette was in space, wasn't he? But he decided to play it back to to Saka, and Saka took it. And then he unleashed a, a lovely finish, like really strong, um, controlled shot to the far side, and we was we were watching um, in off the post, and lovely, brilliant. That unbelievable finish you you love to see hit it so sweetly you love to see it uh and I was sitting w- watching the game with my son and, and and he said to me he was like it's, my son's 16 and he said this season Saka seems to be stronger you know and, and I thought that's a really good observation he seems to be not only physically stronger and he's not only um he actually kicks the ball harder, if that makes sense. And he seems to be, a, and that's obviously confidence. But he's, um, Saka's also, you know, week in, week out, we're seeing a more polished player, aren't we? And somebody who's, who's growing in confidence and who's more willing to take players on and, and, and take on shots like that. And I mean, that's, that finish. It was, it reminded me a little bit of Van Persie, you know, he used to, with that left foot into that far corner and, um, yeah, and obviously great scenes, and it must have been great in that in the um in behind that goal, uh, more and more than we deserved. We dominated the game, um, and 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 we are so lucky. Just going back to the Smith rowe goal, I thought for a split second the goalie would save it because it looked the ball looked quite close to the keeper, and I thought when he when he, when he when he went down, I thought he was going to palm it away, but he didn't. So, but that's becoming Smith rowes trademark, isn't it? He's dribbling forward direct and just rolling it in into that far corner. So, yeah, very lucky to have them, you know, great players. Super.
1: Question to yeah. you both. Uh, Guardiola um, obviously he had Arteta there and Arteta had an impact on Raheem Sterling. Do you, do you think this is what the key is, lads, that he's, he's actually sort of getting in with Smith-Rowe and Saka and he's, he's doing this little bit of magic, you know, bringing them on, uh, teaching them things and making them a more rounded, more developed player? Mitch?
4: Uh, I think the the bigger one to compare him to is actually Leroy Sané, uh, who has said multiple times after leaving Man City that uh, Mikel Arteta was one of the biggest reasons why he was able to be so successful as a goal-scoring winger. Um, And and coming from a system like Manchester City, where you have Raheem Sterling, where you have Riyad Mahrez, where you have Leroy Sané, all of these wingers that are really prolific goal-scorers, uh, I can't imagine it hurts to be uh, Saka or Smith-Rowe or Martinelli to be these players uh, who are, are learning to play uh, these wide positions and having someone who uh, really was able to see world-class players and help world-class players get to that point. Um, so I mean, it's a really uh, – I, I, Arteta definitely had something to do with all of their development. Uh, Bukayo Saka is 20 years old and is able to hold the width on the right wing uh, with the maturity and confidence of a 28-year-old. It's really impressive that he's... We, we talk about, like, the levels of Pepe. Pepe. Saka is able to work on, on his own on the right wing, playing that, uh, like, almost isolated, with very few... Uh, hel- very little help from, like, Tomiyasu or whoever's playing right back uh, and that's where Pepe kind of breaks down when he plays on the right. Uh, granted, Saka was on the left when he scored his goal, but his maturity to play on the left and to hold that width really effectively on his own is a really underrated part of his game uh, that he's unbelievably good at at his age. I mean, if we're being completely honest, he's probably the second best right winger in the league, like, and he's 20. It's unreal. Played the most games as
1: well. Jay, um, it's phenomenal what he's doing for his age, as we keep pointing out. But he's, he's going to be an absolute massive megastar, isn't he? Thankfully, he's just signed a new deal, apparently. So that's good. Um, yeah. What's awesome. lyrical I mean, about him? I
3: mean, you can't forget as well, just just what happened in the summer. You know, we missing that penalty and, and how, just how big a, um, a bigger deal that would have been to him and and, and everything that followed with all the... The rubbish that was on social media after the England miss, you know, uh, and yeah, I suppose there was a slight little hangover, which you'd expect. But he's—I mean, Mitch covered it perfectly. There, he's just like I said earlier. He's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's probably the first name on the team sheet, isn't he, Saka? You know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's now adding goals to. He's, I mean, we've spoke about this before, haven't we, Tom? How how um, he's much more willing to to take on defenders. And you see more and more now opposition teams doubling up against him or tripling up against him. And, uh, and he's still so much of a threat and he really, really has a bad game, you know, and he gets kicked, he gets hacked, but he just keeps going. And uh, he's, he seems to have a great attitude. um, And I mean, I know I say every week, what price would you put on him? You know, if somebody came in with, with the, with the inflated prices for England players, you know, um, you know, you'd be you'd be looking towards sort of hundreds of millions, wouldn't you? And he's he's uh, he's he's a he's a great player, and and well, I hope he is he, he is tied down to a long term contract because it's going to be if he continues at this rate, if the club don't manage to get back into the Champions League, the the, the big 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 sort of European super clubs are going to come after him, aren't they? So we need to make sure we're we're in the right position to 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 match his his quality, you know.
1: Well, the good the thing, thing about he, this is that he uh, he is sort of gr- he's grown up, hasn't he, uh, in the Arsenal Academy? So that gives them a little bit more of the old heart thing, doesn't it? it? They really do relate to the club in in a different way as as opposed to buying a player in. That's uh, that's key, really, to holding on to these players. Mitch, sorry, what were you going to say?
4: Uh, I mean, that is my biggest worry: is that he if if we don't qualify for the Champions League. Is that like I think his deal expires in 2023, so we don't have all that much longer, or maybe it's 24, it, it, somewhat soon, uh, to where if we don't qualify for the Champions League, a team like Liverpool, a team like Man City might come knocking this this when uh, the summer. We've we've seen rumors um, uh, about it and it's very possible he's he's a really really good player already um and it's a little worrying uh because a, a player of his caliber should be playing in the champions league uh yeah. so if we don't make it i there's there's a decent chance regardless that he he grew up with the club that he might he might be more willing to go to a a, a team that's challenging for the champions league challenging for the premier league uh and as as fans i don't think we could really blame him if that if that was the case uh but also as much as it would hurt if something like that was to happen the a lot of rebuilds are energized by the sale of a player uh coutinho comes to mind for liverpool uh the, he was hands down their best player at that time they sell him and they're able to buy Van Dyke, they're able to buy Allison, that's what catapults send to the top. Um, I, I'm not saying we should sell Bukayasaka, uh, but if the situation the I, I, I trust the club to do the intelligent thing as hard as it could be if we were to cross that road.
3: I mean, as long as as long as the club are continuing to improve season in season mm-hmm. out, we're okay, aren't we? Mm-hmm. You know, as long as, as long as he- hopefully, yeah. As long as he can see that that things are improving and you know the club is moving forward and and improving, then we're all right. It's, it's what happens if we just don't get it, and and I mean, it is concerning, I suppose. But we are moving in the right direction, you know. Uh, yeah. So I think I, I think, think there's a
1: naivety like, with fans as well, thinking, oh, well, he's he's tied down to a long-term contract contracts these days they're not really worth that much are they if someone comes knocking they can they can buy out that contract and the club will will go high because they've got a long-term contract so uh, just a, a little bit of perspective trying to balance it but god willing he doesn't go anywhere same for with sure. uh, smith rowe <laughs> um lads uh smith comes on gets a goal looks electric again you got martinelli uh he'll be back uh or in contention for a starting spot how do we balance this so we we can get these guys in the team? It's looking a bit awkward. It's looking a bit like how'd you do
4: it? Uh, the like obvious thing with a lot of fans would be to play Martin Elliott striker. I think that uh, I I don't know what the long term plan for him is at the club. I don't know if they see him more as a winger or as a striker because obviously that's what they're gonna lean towards. So whatever their long term plan is uh if if he is not going to be playing striker for us uh it is a good problem to have that we have four really good players for three positions uh especially in the fact that uh like clubs like man city and liverpool have five good players for three positions so having one of these guys uh, martinelli smithrow odegaard saka coming off the bench uh on on tired legs that's Great. That's like we need a goal towards the end of the game. I'd rather Martinelli come on than Pepe, if I'm being honest. So, uh, not uh, not having each one of them start every week, uh, I don't think is as big of a deal as as it's made out to be. A little bit. Um, I think Smith Rowe should start versus Wolves uh, in the same way that Martinelli had his run of games when Smith Rowe got hurt. Um, This. Uh, Martinelli's red card unfortunately created an opening. Smith Rowe took his opportunity. He scored. He played great. Uh, let's keep giving him giving him games. Let's uh, let players who are on a roll be on a roll. Have Martinelli come off the bench. Hopefully, he goes on a little run like Smith Rowe did uh, and and have a bunch of goals as a super sub. Uh, but I, I think probably my prediction in the near future is that. We will have one of them coming off the bench, which is good. It's very nice to have a uh, really exciting depth. Jay, do you agree with that?
3: Yeah, 100%. There's, and there's still plenty of games left, isn't there? There's still a lot of football matches. There's still some big, big games. Um, and, uh, I mean, ultimately, if the strikers aren't scoring, then there's always going to be that temptation, I suppose, to, to try something a little bit different. In certain situations, you know, if you've got a bamiyang playing up front and he scored twenty-five goals already this season or whatever, then you're not going to change him. But because we haven't got that, there's always the chance that you know Martinelli might get a chance down the middle. Like I'm, like like Mitch said, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that's the right right thing to do. Um, and same with Smith Rowe. But ultimately, we haven't got a striker who's scoring. So uh, in like I say, in certain situations, I think we might see it a bit more. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it's the one part of the team that isn't quite clicking, isn't it? Defense seems to have been a bit better and midfield, you know, especially now, um, Shaka and Partey are sort of doing pretty well in there. You know, the, the, wide men are doing well. It's just that central striking position that, that we're still struggling with. So, uh, we might see a few changes in there, but ultimately I think Lacazette's going to get the nod every week just because we don't really have <laughs> too many. Well, we don't have anything
1: better, do we? So, uh, so, yeah. I've heard Len, the groundsman, he, he's pretty tasty. He's, he's in his late 50s, but uh, apparently he's quite a good shot. Um, mm-hmm. Let's wrap this up, this part of the show, with uh, a couple of bits. We'll do man of the match, and I'll start off first. Uh, who impressed you guys? But for me, it was Odegaard. He was on fire. It was It was lovely to watch him. He's such a stylish player, and all the good stuff tends to go for him. Um, he, he's, he's got so much promise when I, I get really annoyed when these guys say 30 million what a waste of money I can't see anything and uh, that will be for Nigel by the way if Nigel's watching uh, shame on you sir uh, he's a quality quality player and 30 million it's daylight robbery uh, Jay who was your man of the match?
3: Yeah Erdogan
1: played well Saka played well I thought in the first
3: half I thought Gabriel was superb he was so he just dominated he, he did a couple of lovely uh, lovely tackles and um he looked really strong but yeah Saka was 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 really good like he is so consistent um i thought smith rowe was really good he did he did a lovely turn right on the touchline that must have been quite near where you were sitting in the second half where he sort of sold the defender a dummy and he went right along the byline and i thought that was nice I quite like that you know he showed, again showing that he's the confidence is growing um, if he's a bit, even though he's a bit short on fitness, but yeah, Odegaard, so good again, so consistent, isn't he? he? He's he's just he again very rarely has a bad game and he's he's so cute with his passing and um, he's a joy, like class player. Yeah, I probably probably agree with you there. Yeah, Odegaard, what about you, Mitch? Uh,
4: I I agree with everything you guys have said about Odegaard, he's he was fantastic, uh, really, really uh good chemistry he and saka have built up on that right side that dummy that they had in the first half was uh fantastic uh i there was a lot of fantastic performances which is always great it's it's always a good thing to have uh like five or six players that you're like oh yeah they could easily be man of the match uh i think party is is one that we didn't uh talk about who was uh really really good uh, I mean, as we've kind of shifted our system into this 4 3 3 shaped midfield, um, Odegaard's really flourished as that right eight. Jocka has uh, held down that, that left eight really nicely. And then Party in the middle as that six has been really, really dependable. Uh, his, his waiting on the ball uh, to just the perfect moment to let Saka run three for his goal was really, really good. Uh, but I, I really gotta say that my man of the match goes to Smith Rowe. I mean, that, that goal was key, came at a key time. Uh, to talk about just putting a moment on your back and, uh, being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put this ball in the back of the net. Uh, really great performance from him. And, uh, again, it could have gone to five or six different personal players, which is always great. I think that's the
1: thing, isn't it? Uh, we're talking about individual players, but it was a really good effort by a lot of players, which is really nice to see. Um, Let's just finish with the Wolves game. Xhaka turned down the captain's armband. There's been a bit of a furore and all this sort of humbug online. Uh, I didn't really have an issue with it, uh, especially after what happened to him as a captain. Jay?
3: It it was a nothing, nothing situation. I think that I I was listening to another podcast and they they said that the... um, How dare you, sir? (laughs) Apparently the story is that Xhaka didn't, Turn the armband down.
4: I think. Um, what was it? Inketia. Inketia um, wanted to give him the armband to give to Tierney to because. Uh, so, uh, Arteta said after the match that Tierney is the next man up after Lacazette. That's to- a new development. Um, because Kearney I think
3: that he him or something. He couldn't. Tierney couldn't hear Lacazette. Uh, there was
4: some confusion gave it to Ketia
3: And then. Shaka, I, I don't know. I think they're in just the wrong told game. him to hang on to it and give yeah. it to him when the ball went out. No, I don't even think he'd turn it down. I think it was just yeah. it was all of nothing. Um yeah. And I mean, I said at the time, ab- absolute rubbish. I mean, to be honest, if he did turn it down, you know what? After everything that's happened, could you blame him? If that was you in that situation, if it no. was after all of the after everything that's gone on, the, the the failed transfer to Roma or the nearly transfer to Roma and then sticking around, and then everything that's happened since red cards and whatever, could you blame him for turn, for, for saying I'm not going to be? I if I was in his position, I'd have probably
1: said no as well so i've got a theory i reckon shaka was offered the armband and he went i'm not touching that bugger off give it to someone else <laughs> i just think it was just a nothing
3: nothing story uh, yeah. and they tried yeah. to make a big deal about it on tv and it just nothing it's just just a nothing thing and like i said if you if you were granted shaka i i think we'd all probably say no to that after all i the- mean
4: he he has worn the armband uh when like when lacazette's been subbed off in situations like that I think this is like a new development, though, that when, uh, Aubameyang left, Lacazette was like officially named captain. Uh, and with that, with, especially with Mikel Arteta's comments after the match that Tierney was the next man up to get the armband. Uh, I think that that's means that Tierney is basically vice captain right now. I personally expect him to be like named officially captain at the end of the season when Lacazette leaves with this new development, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, I think he's totally deserving of it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago and, uh, I said that I wanted him and him and Odegaard as captain and vice captain. And I, I I still think that that would be really great for the team. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how that develops, but, uh, seems like it's going in a pretty good direction. Uh, if there's anything
1: anyone wants to bring up who's watching, uh, it's an Arsenal thing4 at gmail.com. If you don't agree with our opinions, we'll we'll actually give it some voice, we'll give it some vocals. Right, next part of it. Uh, big plug to the Arsenal Therapy show for the next topic. We're going to look at time wasting. Is it becoming A major issue in the game. You've got VAR stoppages. You've got the ref having a confab with the uh, linesman injuries, players slow to leave the field, slow to take free kicks, goal kicks, throw ins. Um, Also, the amount of time that's added on at the end of the game is on the rise. Um, Are we being shortchanged as fans? Because apparently we, we get like 60 minutes of full blown action out of an entire 90. Jay, what's your opinion?
3: So, well, that, that's, that's quite a um, big question. So from my point of view, time-wasting has always been part of football. Even growing up, you know, you were taught when I was playing football as a, as a child, if you're winning 1-0 or 2-1 or whatever, and it's a close game, and you get the ball and you're out wide, you take it into the corner, and you're running the, you run the clock down, or you take a little bit longer taking a throw-in or a corner or things like that. So there's nothing new. Um, obviously, the VAR element's new, um, and you're never going to get the full amount of time back. But, um, look, you like to think that it will go both ways. Obviously, this is Arsenal, so we don't always get the fair crack like, like the rest of the teams. But uh, I haven't got a huge problem with it. It's not something that really... You know, it doesn't grate at me. It doesn't really. Like I said, it's nothing new. There's always been time wasting. There's always been gamesmanship. There's always been um, trying to get that little bit of advantage if you can. Um, look, I mean, I don't know. Some, some, it, it does bother some other people, uh, obviously, but not, not for me personally. It's not like a huge issue. Not, not, bitch. not with, not with. Sorry, but not just to finish. I think there's a lot more elements of VAR that are a lot more like pressing a lot more things need looking at referees the, the standard of refereeing um and how the, the, the standards of refereeing is applied to VAR but that is the bigger thing for me once you address that then I think the time wasting will take care of itself absolutely spot on Jake uh
1: Mitch how can we manage this uh is uh, have the referees got to be more proactive as well during a game so that you haven't got this goalkeeper standing there. As we saw in the Wolves match, uh, there was a, a bit of unnecessary, uh, not, not Wolves match, Brentford. As we saw in that match, there was a bit of time wasting going on and it was very blatant and obvious. Uh, did the referee miss out by sort of, you know, giving him a little bit of a finger
4: wag? I mean, uh, in the fan, in, in the stands, we were booing David Rea every single time he was doing a goal kick because it took him about uh, 30 seconds every time uh, to, to get himself figured out maybe even longer. Uh, and I mean, like I think the worst enforced rule in the entire sport is that goalkeepers can only hold the ball for like eight seconds. Um, and I I think Ramsdale holds it for about 16 every game. Uh, so, um, we say anything but, about that. That's- <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of different directions. Like, I mean, obviously as an American, I, I, I grew up watching American sports. And so it, it was, uh, kind of a unique thing when I started getting into football, uh, to be able to be like, oh, there's this game I'm watching at three. Uh, it's going to be from three to five and that's it. Uh, it's, it's kind of nice to have like a concise window to watch matches in. Uh, if you watch an NFL game, it's going to be four, five, six hours, depending on game flow. Um, so it's nice how, uh, the it's usually done of it being like a a solid two hour thing. And I feel like any changes, whether that's uh, make the game 70 minutes long and stop the clock every single time they go, the ball goes out of bounds uh, or you, I'm not sure how time is collected as it is uh, for stoppage time, but it seems like an estimate. Um, I feel like we have enough technology at this point where, especially with VAR, we have so many cameras on the field at one time. There has to be a way where they can time every single second in which the ball is not moving. And that is the accurate stoppage time that you put on the end of every match. Oh, okay. Instead of like an estimated five minutes at the end of a half. Great. We have three minutes and 36 seconds and that's it uh in stoppage time because you've accurately been tracking the amount of time in which the ball wasn't stopped. we de- There's definitely enough technology to do that. There's no reason to be guessing uh, how much stoppage time is, is, uh, is left because that's kind of how it feels a lot of times. Like there's some matches where there's like, there's no way there's five minutes of stoppage time. And then there's others where it's like, it should be at least 13 minutes of stoppage time, but we only got like four.
3: Um, we all remember. And- we all remember Fergie time. I was right? just going to mention yeah. that. We all remember Fergie time, and, and it and it was just it became this. On you know, there'd be five minutes left at the end of the game, and this is way before VAR, and and it was just Fergie time, and and it's been going on for for years. Um, and and yeah, and there is the technology, hundred percent, but I just it I, I'm not I can't see anything changing
1: jay correct me uh, was, if i'm wrong about that fergie time wasn't it he they put up three minutes or something and he went over there and give them the old scottish verbal <laughs> and it went up to something like five or six did didn't it? Uh, yeah <laughs> sorry I, I
4: i think with like the technology i think it's probably the best way to do it of like accurately figuring out how much time to make sure that 90 minutes is actually played uh my my biggest worry for if if, if there was things like dropping it down to 70 minutes and, and stopping the clock when it went out of bounds is that, uh, I love not having commercials during games. Like you're, when you go to like a uh, American football game, there's just like three minute long commercial breaks that you just like have to stand through or just watch through, uh, that are just like at random points throughout the game. And it really ruins the flow of like how, how sports are supposed to happen. Um, And it would suck to have that happen to a sport uh, like football where it's, it's very constantly flowing. You have 45 straight minutes. You have a lot of ads at halftime uh, and then you got 45 more straight minutes. Um, It it would also create like a harder barrier of entry of like Americans also already have like this like conceived notion about the sport that it's slow. And if you add like more stoppages to it, that's only going to make it worse um so i, I mean, about I think, midnight wouldn't you yeah and, like i i think the, i think the best way to go about it would be to just accurately uh, account for time in which the ball is not in play i think well, that's the best way to do it and seems like the it should be the easiest way if they're not already doing that that's how they should be doing it
1: let's just give you some uh some blurb here before we start with the opinions of our beloved listeners um throw-ins 20 seconds it takes 20 seconds with some throw-ins warnings 30 seconds goal kicks 30 seconds corner kicks 45 free kicks 60 uh penalty kicks 60 altercations that's a nice one uh 30 and arguing with the referee uh at least 30 seconds Although if you're Man United, it goes on for about a week, doesn't it? Uh, so it just goes to show that the uh, the time is building up. Some are insisting on an independent official uh, and a clock system similar to rugby. And there's all, also a suggestion. I'm just trying to find who it was that sent it in. Uh, Katie, what about an open mic? Rugby Union uh, has that and you can hear the decision making process and it's more transparent. What what do you think about that? I mean that would clear a lot of doodah up wouldn't it with uh, the officials and we would know where we're at. And mm-hmm. uh, if you had this official timekeeper, you know, stopping for every incident as we've already said. That would mm-hmm. probably be bang on, but as as you said Jay, we have got other problems as well.
3: Mhm. What's your thoughts? Y- yeah, there's also, you know, the the whole um, you know, when there's an offside, but the the linesman doesn't give it straight away, and they play the whole passage of play on, and then it gets given. You know how many times does that happen in a game where you know there's a certain amount of time wasted? It, it is a tough one, really, because games can't just they can't just go on and on and on for hours and hours. You know things like throw-ins. You know uh, I don't consider that you know to be to be time wasted. That's just part of the game. You know, the main the main problem we have is is, is the time dedicated to um, making the VAR decisions and, and referees getting called over and blah blah blah. And uh, I don't think, like I said, for me personally, it doesn't really bother me too much. Um, but I don't know, it's 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 a tough one because I just think, like I said earlier, the the, the referee standards and the quality that needs to be looked at far sooner than. Than the time wasting issue, you know, uh, the quality of referees. Uh, The
1: Arsenal Therapy Show. Sorry, uh, Mitch. uh, The Arsenal Therapy Show also noted we said that we should let the refs control the time wasting. John Moss shows today that they currently cannot. Uh, When Arsenal get momentum, one of their lads just lies down for a break. Uh, Goal kicks were a bit of a joke. Yeah, I mean,
3: clarity is, is something we everybody wants, isn't it? Everybody wants that bit of clarity. Everybody wants some, you know, some actual um, input from the referees to explain decisions. But for some reason, they're so well protected, aren't they? They don't have to explain any decisions. They don't have to, or or they're not made to come out and explain any VAR decision. And you never hear any of it. And that's where part of the frustration is. A large part of the frustration is just not being able to understand why, from one week to the next, these decisions are so different about very similar situations uh but yeah, I mean any sort of clarity would be a massive massive positive you know
1: uh yeah, final like, final thing on this bit, sorry, mitch, you carry on
4: first before we get to that uh one. there there's like a lot of talk about this with pretty much all sports i mean like in the the n f l there's people that want uh like it, there was a uh, uh, American football league called the XFL that was uh, around for about half a season before COVID uh, kind of uh, made it go under for a little bit. Uh, they had for all of their referee decisions for all their uh, like action replay or challenges, uh, they would go to a booth where two referees were discussing it and you would hear them. They were mic'd up. And so you heard the entire process of them making a decision. That's something that, the NFL should uh, t- should have into their decision-making system. That's something VAR should have into their decision-making system. That transparency creates less of an animosity between refs and uh, fans or refs and coaches, refs was and that, players. Was that well-received? Was that well-received from support? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? It was really well-received. I, I think I personally, like, obviously I still think about it as, as a really good thing that the, uh, that, that league did and uh, I I think uh, I would be in the majority of NFL fans that would want NFL, fan, uh, NFL referees to have that. And I think every single sport would benefit from that kind of transparency so that we're not left wondering after a VAR check of a blatant handball in the box, being like, okay, so what, what were they thinking? Then the fans get a better handle on how games are being ref, uh, how the refs see the game. They're like, oh, his arm was out there because, uh, he was, going in at this certain angle or whatever, whatever the thought process is to not give a penalty there. We as fans get to learn what that is. And mm. there's gonna be less outrage when, there's, when it's things that are explained to you. It's way easier to like, if you're transparent in your process of like, this is the thought process of why this decision would, was made uh, in the moment in VAR. I, I think fans would accept penalty and foul decisions way more if you had that, even if you disagree with it.
3: I mean, the Brentford game when um, Cedric shot and I can't remember which defender it was, who blocked it, put his arm up and it hit his arm, Mm -hmm. you know, like that, how that can be a natural position is beyond me, you know, Mm -hmm. and how that wasn't a penalty, is, you know, because, you know, the guy was in mid air when his arms up there and the ball hits him, has to be a penalty. And like you said, it would have been, would have been useful to say the least if, we could find out why that wasn't given. And then obviously fast forward a couple of hours to the um City Spurs game. And City got a penalty at the end. And it was the hand was up to his face, but it was given. And uh, not too much difference between the two for me. So yeah.
1: Never yeah, is tra- there?
3: <laughs> any any transparency would be a good thing, any even even a small amount, you know, but it isn't gonna happen. It doesn't look like it anyway.
1: Right, we're nearly wrapped up here. We'll just cover this one one more time. With uh, one of our eagle-eyed viewers watched the Stoke game and remarked that from a collection, uh, the collection of the ball to the actual throwing, it took thirty-five seconds. Imagine that ten times during a game. It's just it's it's quite wacky, isn't it? You could be allowed that amount of time, and I think that's what people are moaning about. Right, lads, before we go, uh, I sent you this. You can see it. Right, I'll explain to the viewers what it is. Uh, You have £10 to spend. Uh, In the £5 line, there are three players. uh, Three players in the £3 line and three players in the £2 line. And you've got to make it come to the equivalent of a tenner. So on the £5 line, you've got Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Ian Wright. In the £3 line, you've got Robert Pires, Freddie Lundberg and Alexis Sanchez. And on the £2 line, I'm not even sure Theo Walcott's worth that, but uh, yeah, Theo Walcott, uh, Mr. Obama-Yang, the old snappy dresser, and Robin Van Perstrings. Um, who did you go for, Jay? Right. So this is obviously hard. <laughs> There's no debate in
3: how bit. difficult this is. <laughs> this is this is super difficult. Um, so I'm going to go with Righty, Alexis, and R- uh, RVP. You what got... about
4: you, Mitch? Um, I'm nearly the same. I, I'm Henri, Alexis, and RVP. Right. Um, and, and explain
1: yourself, there, Jay. What was going through your head at the time? Who did you regret not picking? Well, obviously,
3: leaving Dennis and Thierry out is just is awful. You know, but shame on you. It's it's, it's right You know, this is the man. This is the this is the the living legend, and uh, you know, for me, the best striker actual striker and goal scorer we've ever had so you know he's got to be in there righty but to be fair any three any one of those three are going to do a great job for you and then you've got Alexis Freddie and and, and Bobby like again three class players but Alexis for that sort of two year period he was he was unreal wasn't he he was world class Alexis he? and he stepped up in the big, ga- big games scored in cup finals um, and he was just he was just Dangerous, and then Van Persie. Let's just forget about him going to Man United. He was he carried us for years, didn't he? He carried us. He carried us for years. Um, Theo, yeah, Theo was all right. You know, he used to frustrate me to to have the high heaven, but and Abayang Abayang was good. He was good. There's no debate in it. And and again, he carried us as well. To be fair, a couple of years ago, and scored in the cup final. But but Van Persie for me was just a little bit better. So. uh, yeah, righty,
1: Alexis and Van Persie. What about you, Mitch? Was there any sort of uh decisions that you thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to have another go at that?
4: Uh I mean, I think, like, Henri was kind of easy for me. I think he's probably, like, the greatest player that's played for Arsenal. Um, and then, like, I feel like Robin Van Persie and Aubameyang are a little similar, but, like, even with RVP going to Man United, I think he has, like... Uh, and this might change with time just because it may have just soured a little bit with, with Abba, uh, but, like, Robert Van Persie, I feel like, has a, has a better legacy as just a pure player right now uh, as an Arsenal player. And then, like, I, I, I felt... I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm personally glad that Jay said Alexis as well so that I didn't look dumb because, like, there's two invincibles in this tier, so I felt weird picking Alexis over him. But like he was the best player of the team when I started following the team, so it was hard for me to not pick him. Uh, I, I I've watched him. I did not watch Lomburg and Perez, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I went with uh, I I just couldn't
1: do it. You know the top line caused me major headaches. Uh, but I went with Dennis Burkamp because he's my favorite player. I just couldn't I couldn't not put him in. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen so much class from him. From the three pound line it was bobby perez because that guy was just silky Unreal. uh class mm. i mean when he got the ball it looked effortless it was just yeah. uh, uh a- a- anyone who's not seen robert perez in his stride they've got to go on youtube and watch the best of bobby perez he was absolutely epic and i'll go with you with uh robin van percy because um about i'm not going to go for and Theo just he just wandered about, didn't he, after the time? He was good on occasion and on a, other occasions, not so good. Right, let's just uh, talk about the upcoming game. Uh, what's your thoughts on it, Jay?
3: Uh, more of the same, it's going to be tough. They, you know, Wolves, um, they've been playing well, haven't they? It, uh, and, it, you know, they've uh, had some decent results recently and they they look strong but you've got to be look, hoping for a win you've got to be looking for those three points and you know we just need to keep grinding the results out it doesn't really matter how we get those three points it doesn't really I'm not it's not going to be pretty um but I still expect us to win you know there's going to be harder games for me as the season goes on uh, I think we'll see practically the same side maybe Tommy Asu to come in on the right for Cedric um and this this will be a it'll be a tough game, but you know I'm I'm, I'm confident we can get a win. Um,
1: yeah, I'm what's gonna the go... score, Jay? Mm, um,
3: I think oh, I love be... it when
1: he does that. It's almost like he's he's, he's plucking it out of the air, isn't
3: it? Yeah, to Brent, Brentford, <laughs> maybe two nil, two one, two nil, something like
1: that. Mitch, what's your thoughts?
4: Uh, Wolves are a very good side. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when we played them away uh we were able to come out with a win there with 10 men it was a very impressive performance uh wolves have gotten better we're, we've gotten better pedro netos back for them uh, he's fantastic uh and so they've gotten better but we are really really good at home uh i anticipate us to be able to hopefully break down their defense to to nick a goal uh and uh i'm predicting a one nil.
1: I was going to go for a grubby 1-0 as well. And I don't care if it goes off an elbow or a, a, an arse cheek or whatever, as long as we just uh, do this and keep the pressure on, because we don't want to let Man United get carried away and start getting a little bit of a run. And have you seen Watch the, the signs number. of Harry Maguire's head? It's massive. <laughs> anyway, lads, thanks for this again uh, in the gun Room. It's been a pleasure and uh, it's been great fun as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Now then, a serious conversation for you Arsenal couples. Are you thinking of conceiving a child that will eventually become a Premier League footballer? Well, no problem. According to the BBC.co.uk, it's got some handy tips. It may require a degree of forward thinking and planning, but ideally the fruits of your loins will ideally be born on the 28th of March. That's the birthday which produces the most Premier League footballers. Five footballers are lucky enough to have entered the world on this day and gone on to big things, with three of the five having actually played in the same team. Phil Foden, John Stones and Kyle Walker. Imagine having to share your caterpillar cake at half time. 2.8% of the players come from London, runners-up include Liverpool at 1.3%, Birmingham 1.3%, Manchester 1.1% and Sheffield at 0.9% with smaller places like Bath 0.6%, Chester 0.6% and Stockport 0.9% also in the mix. It means absolutely zero to me. The most common first name in football and uh, if you're going to name your child you want to get the name right don't you if they're going to be a famous footballer. The most common first name in football's top league is Daniel. The most common middle name is James and the most common surname is Silver. So there you have it you could have Daniel James Silver. Change your name by depot guarantee success. Money in the bank. Non-football associated item. Jim Woodford died, apparently, I've read, uh, and spent 11 hours in heaven, Mm. Uh, which featured an 11-foot creature with violet eyes dressed as a soldier. Peter Crouch in fancy dress. Seriously, what a Friday night bender that must have been. Uh, Jim, it's called alcoholic poisoning. Dave spent two days on it and believed he was on honeymoon with Cheryl Cole. (laughs) Incidentally, if you go to hell, you're met by a naked Keith Chegwin wearing a set of antlers and clogs. And if you don't know who Keith Chegwin is, that joke fell on stony ground. Right then, we're all done here thanks to Silent Dave, Isaiah, Jay, and Mitch. You can find all the boys on Twitter, Dave as Silent Dave 101. You can look up Isaiah at A Arsenology, Jay as the ball Gooner, and Mitch as Mitch Piotta. Check out the blogs at AmericanArsenology.medium.com or the dot Check out the YouTube version, like, follow or subscribe. Shout outs to Brandon Murphy and everyone at AskDevils.com. Email the show at it's an arsenal thing 4 at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for taking the time to tune in and join us. Stay safe until next time and remember, North London is red.
2: Mm-hmm.